0: I thought we were going to finish 1 John today, and I've been struggling with it all week. And I found out what my big problem was. I was trying to take too much Scripture, and the Lord wanted me to slow down. So I'm not always in control of what's going on. I can't make the Bible do what I want it to do. It definitely tells me what to do, and I'm okay with that. And we have really an enormous issue to think about. Our relationship to God, the whole earth, is headed to judgment. Everyone is going to give an account of their lives to the Lord everyone is going to bow their knees before God on the throne. And on that throne will be sitting Jesus because it will be revealed without any shadow of doubt that he is the Lord God Almighty and nobody else. Now, we believe this right now We already know who's going to be on the throne. We don't have to guess. And we know also, because Peter told us, that judgment begins with the house of God. And because we believe this, we want to live in a way that pleases God right now. We don't want to come into judgment. We're not going to but we're still going to stand before God. So how do you live knowing that you are headed towards that judgment seat of Christ? It's kind of an awesome thing to think about, isn't it? That way to live rightly is to be made like the Lord Jesus and then live like him. And it means submitting ourselves completely to God's grace, God's favor, His kindness to us in Jesus. It means that we humble ourselves greatly before Him. So I'm reading in first Peter, Peter. Chapter five, verse five. Peter says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So Peter wants us all to be humble because that's how we receive grace from God. Does everybody get that? Now, you know that our salvation results because of God's favor, his grace. And I was thinking about how God told Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And the Apostle Paul adds this, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who who shows mercy. None of us wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to get saved. I just feel like it today. None of us are looking for that at all. God has to go find us. And in fact, we read that he chose us in Christ before he made the world. So I had nothing to say about that. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, when God says this to Moses, it's when the entire nation of Israel sinned before God. They made a golden calf and worshiped it while Moses is up at the top. They said, we don't know what happened to Moses. So let's make gods and let them go before us. Let's whoop it up. And they did. So. The entire nation had forfeited their lives. They were dead. And Moses says, well, if you blot them out, blot me out as well. Kind of sticking up and being solid with his people. And God says, you know what? I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. In other words... God deals with them in grace with no deserving on Israel's part. They have not one leg to stand on, no bargaining, nothing with God. And God says, I can do this because I'm God. And I can show favor because I'm good. Now, God doesn't reward us according to our deserving. If we got what we deserved, we would be in hell tonight. And so, God has mercy on us because he's good. That is the basis of our salvation. Not that I'm good. Not that I keep proving how God should bless me because I've already blown it. And you have already blown it. We're in the same position as Israel. And so the only reason that God saves us is because of Him. He is good. It's out of the fact that He blesses, and not that we're worthy of it. So He sent Jesus to die for our sins, and we didn't deserve that. And He rose from the dead that we might be born again and receive Jesus' eternal life. Now, our lives as Christians begin with humbling ourselves before God. Isn't that how you became a Christian? We have to confess, I have sinned against you. I deserve your punishment. But Jesus died for me, so forgive me, please, and make me new. Have you ever done that? I see a head slightly moving. Now, was, did you find that humbling? It was embarrassing. I never felt so low. I remember reading about C.S. Lewis. When he received Jesus, he says, there was no more dejected convert in all of England. You know, when God finally wears you down, you go, okay, I received Jesus. And it's not especially triumphant. I felt more like, oh, they got me now. I didn't want to be got. I wanted to run away. But here we are. So we started in humility. And, you know, we don't deserve any of this stuff. Any of the blessing that we get, we don't deserve it. Now, as we begin following Jesus, that's how we continue to follow Jesus. So if you've received grace, then you have to receive more grace. It wasn't like this big kaboom grace, and that's it for the rest of your life. It's this steady receiving grace. Gospel of John, first chapter, John says, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. And that it's striking how in the Bible, if you've received grace, then God gives you more. And our whole life is about continually receiving God's grace. And you know, down here, in the very end, in in verse 12 of 1 Peter 5, Peter says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying That this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So, because we believe in Jesus, we stand in this grace. This is where we want to stay. We want to continue in this place where we receive God's grace continually until we're done. And when we're done, then we're exalted with Jesus. But as far as the rest of our earthly existence here, where do you want to be? I want to be in this place where God blesses. And I don't want to move outside it. Okay, Peter says everybody is supposed to humble themselves before God. And one another. Did you notice that? He's talking in verse 5 about you, younger people, submit yourself to your elders. And you notice he starts that sentence with, likewise, in the same way. And then you say, well, in the same way as what? And it's in the same way as pastors. And we remember that a pastor is somebody who is not perfect, but he submits to God and serves him, even though he knows he's not perfect. And that means you have to humble yourself to be a pastor. You don't walk around thinking, I am God's gift to the world, I'm a blessing. Just to rub against me right here. Did you get the blessing? It's ridiculous. All you're aware about is, I'm not enough for this job. And a lot of times you think, I'm doing a crummy job. Why doesn't God just kill me and find somebody who's really got the blessing to do this job? But see, power is made perfect in weakness, and you have to just do your job in weakness and... Be willing for God to display his power clearly in you. So everybody goes, well, you know, it's not what's-his-face. That guy's a clonk. It must be God. And you learn to be okay with that. So a pastor submits to God. That's the whole job right there. I can't get anything done until I'm submitted to God. All right? Peter goes on and says, okay, all you younger guys, too, do the very same thing. Submit to God. And you submit to your elders. And probably referring to pastors there in the same way. You know, you don't despise them because they're a bunch of older guys. They're all fuddy-duddies. And they're old and in the way, so move on, Grandpa. That would be the easy thing to say, wouldn't it? But instead, you honor and respect them as a person who has more experience and can show you things. I remember sitting with my grandmother, who was an absolute, fully registered saint (laughs) and you didn't have any ambiguity about it and I didn't talk very much because she was telling me stuff and that's good enough whenever you find somebody who really knows God you don't tell them anything you ask some questions and get them going and then you can learn something see because they've been around the block a few times and they're still alive Now's the time to get it. You know, you just feel like you're just starting to get what it means to follow Jesus, and then you're gone. So get it now while you still can. That's the attitude he's saying. These guys are here to help you inherit glory. And I learned some very cool things from my grandmother. But, you know, he doesn't spend a lot of time on that. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. To show one another that kind of respect and honor. And not to assert yourself, but to respect them as above you. And he says, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation in love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, If any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself." Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So humble. It means thinking about others as more important than yourself. God is more important than you. Others are more important than you. That doesn't mean you're unimportant or that, you know, get rid of him. It doesn't count. It just means your attitude is to esteem others as more important than yourself. You think about others. You're concerned about, is this person going to make it? Like, I'm squared away. I know where I'm going, but are you taken care of? Are you going to make it? Why not? What can I do so that you will be encouraged? You will make it. Because when you make it, I make it. Because I helped you. When you're victorious, then I'm victorious. When you're glorified, then I'm glorified. That's humility. Now, the way we think by default is, I'm hot stuff, and you all stink. I'm the only important person in the room. The rest of you are like just a little bit above dust, and I don't care. (laughs) So I can treat you any way I want, and it doesn't matter because you don't count. So I can be brutal to you, I can put you down. I can be snarky. Mm -hmm. See, it doesn't matter because you're worthless. And everybody appreciates that too, right? You love being insulted and treated as though you were nothing. So you just get angry. You just say, who do you think you are? And of course the answer is, well, who do you think you are? And... All of a sudden we're on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is where we flamethrow each other. Who do you think you are? Well, smarter than you. Is there any wonder why the world is falling apart? Because every single person of 7 billion people is convinced their God and everybody else is toenails come and not worth anything. And it's chaos. But there's one place you can go where it's not chaos, where it's ordered, and where every person is actually looking out for the others and saying, do you need some help? How are things going? How can I make it better? How can I get you where you need to be? What can I do for you? What do you want? What do you need? And everybody's helping one another out. And guess what? It's not chaos. It's order. It's love. It's like heaven on earth. Because there's love and concern and respect. Do you see that? Now that is completely unlike everything else on the planet. So, the only way to be this way is a miracle. Because as we are right now, it is impossible. In other words, we need humility. And the Apostle Paul talks about how we get humility in Philippians 2 he goes on to say, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, Jesus said, When you see me, you are seeing the Father. If you see me, you've seen God. So Jesus is demonstrating to us that God is humble. God considers others more important than himself. And when you think about how God is God and he's transcendent, far above us. He's God, and we're little tiny people made of dust, running around thinking we're something. And he considers us more important than himself because the Father sends his only begotten Son, and the Son says, I will die for everybody. He obeys the Father to the point of death. Now, to obey somebody else and disregard yourself means humility. You're not thinking about yourself. Because if you thought about yourself for a minute, you would say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to die for 7 billion people? I don't think so. And that's it. We all die and go to hell. So without humility, nobody gets saved. Now, Jesus counted us more important to Him, more important to Himself than Himself. And because He's humble and thinking about us, He's taking care of our needs, which is to get saved and go to heaven. Jesus says, I'm squared away. I'm the Son of God. What about you? Are you going to make it? Why not? I will do everything in my power so that you will make it. All of that comes out of humility. Now, Peter says, humble yourselves to one another. Be clothed with humility. Just like Jesus thought and did. Isn't that staggering? You know, a Christian is not a nice person who doesn't do anything, you know, just exists. A nice person doesn't get in your way. What a nice Christian man. What does he do? Nothing. He's nice. Oh, aren't you nice? Absolutely not. To be a Christian means to be completely different from every human being on the planet. It means to be God-like. It means to be perfect, like God himself. And the only way to do this is to be clothed with Christ because then you will be clothed with humility. You're clothed with his death to your own pride and arrogance and unwillingness. And you're also clothed with his life. And this life, new, Created in his image that says, you know what? I'm okay. What about you? How can I help you? How can I make your life better? How can I help you to obtain eternal glory? Because when you make it, I make it. I can give all that I have and enable you to make it, and I'm not going to lose out because when you make it, I make it. Well, Jesus, we can look at him and know what it means to be humble. Now, the only way to be like Jesus is the grace of God. All right? God gives grace to the humble. This is one of those fabulous, important verses in the Bible That if you get this right, your life falls into place. And if you don't get it, you're not even on the game board. You have no clue about following Jesus. So, who is this humble person? This humble person is not looking at themselves. You know why? Because we can't do it. We think about... Laying down our lives for other people. We're I don't want to do that. I want lunch, man. (laughs) Good luck. I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. Well, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the secret. I haven't got what it takes. And God says, okay, here it is. You don't deserve it. I'm going to give it to you. And as long as you can receive grace upon grace, you can do everything that he's asking you to do because he enables you. And you say, I can't do this. Please do this in me, and he will do it. So, this is Peter's great command in verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This is our life on the planet from here on in humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. And it means you're not fighting God like everybody else who resists God. Who resists God? Well, it says right there in verse 5, the proud. That's all you got to do to be proud is resist God. Such a nice fellow. Yeah, but you're resisting God. And what that means is I know better than God does." You know the questions. What would God do if I surrendered to Him? What would He do to me? Where would He send me? Who would He make me marry? He would probably wreck me. What does God know about living right in the 21st century? He's still up there wearing robes and sandals. Hopelessly out of date with the times. Would God let me watch Netflix? (laughs) Don't touch my Netflix. See? And so what would he do to me? I can't trust him. I am not going to just hand myself over to him and let him do anything he wants to with me. I want freedom. I want liberty. Well, Christian, when you hand yourself over to God, you can't make questions like, what's he going to do to me? Anything he wants. (laughs) Remember, you don't have a leg to stand on. You're blessed to be alive And not dead. You live at God's pleasure. It's a miracle that God actually provided a sinless substitute for you so that you don't have to die. Right there, you're blessed. So you're free from eternal punishment right now. So you don't bargain with God. You don't say, well, look, uh, let's get this straight. I want this and this and this, and if I don't get this, I'm not cooperating. Go to the table with God and deal hard and get your rights. You cannot negotiate with God. You are not an equal with God. He doesn't have to deal with you. It's total surrender or nothing. Take it or leave it. Those are cute terms, aren't they? So you respond by saying, yes, Lord. Those are two words that go together. Yes, Lord. And anything He wants, that's what you submit to. His mighty hand means his plan, what he wants to accomplish, and the power with which he accomplishes that plan. And I think the most concise way to express this is in Matthew 6. First, Jesus says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then in verse 31, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you humble yourself by seeking God's things first in your life. Your highest priority will be God's will. And the interesting thing is you are freed up from worrying about the basics of life, all of them. Because God said you're to take care of His business first. And here's the deal. If you take care of God's business first, He will take care of your business. Isn't that an amazing thing? He says, if you give me top priority, I'm going to take care of all the details that that currently you're sweating about. Now, the opposite to God's will is my will first. And what happens then is that I worry. I'm worried about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to drink, how will I live, and I devote all of my energy to those needs until I'm exhausted. That's my full-time job. And if I ever get all of my needs satisfied, then I will give attention to God. Have you ever done that? When does God get your attention? One half hour after hell freezes over. That's when. You never get everything lined up. It's not any of it worked out. And God basically is off the radar. He doesn't get any attention. No man can serve two masters full stop. One or the other, but not both. So you have to put God's business first. This is humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. Does everybody see that? So. I thought about some ways where you seek God first. Are you interested? One way is that you give priority to knowing God and His will for your life. That's why you read your Bible and you meditate and you pray every day. That is... It's not this thing that you have to do if you're going to be a good Christian. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with this is the first time in my day. This is the first part of my day. And I want to give that time to the Lord. I want to seize that time. Because if I, if I don't do this first, I'll do it last or never. Isn't that funny? Have you ever watched your time with the Lord just slip away and all the craziness creeps in and you're running around headless chicken? And it's crazy. Your life is crazy. There's no order in it. Here's how you take order in your life and that you devote it To God first. Because you know, when you present yourself to the Lord and you say, Teach me, make me to know Christ, it's not words on a page and dusty doctrines. We are learning a person. We are learning a person. And if you don't have a priority of learning Christ, you'll never get there. It doesn't happen accidentally. You've already got too much to do. It's kind of what Martin Luther said. He said, if I don't pray for three hours in the morning, I'll never do what I need to do. My day will devour me. So, That's one thing. You give priority to knowing the will of God. You know what the will of God is? It's it's the second half of all the epistles. Wives do this. Husbands do this. Kids do this. Masters do this. Slaves do this. You know what? It's all seeking the kingdom of God first. It's all there. You don't have to make it up. You just have to know it. Okay, here's another one. I might get in trouble for this. I might get in trouble for all these. But gee, if you fire me, then I'm done, right? (laughs) Stepping out on a limb now. You give priority to coming to church. You know that God has arranged one day in seven that is to be considered holy. And so, on purpose, you stop working. And because the day is holy, you gather together with God's people and you rest. And it's not a time of work. Now, if this is not a priority for you, then you work seven days a week and you get no rest. And you're exhausted. Now, I know that when people have to work on a Sunday, they say, you know what? If I don't do this, I'm not going to make it. I will die. Now, the biblical answer is God knows how to provide for you. And it's actually an interesting thing. And that is Exodus 35 Israel is about to build the tabernacle. Artisans will spin and make cloth, and they will fashion things and do carpentry and all kind of work. And before that happens, God warns them, Says, then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now the context for this is the building of the tabernacle of God. Somebody's really zealous for the Lord and says, you know what, I'm going to keep spinning on the seventh day. And God says, no, not even to build my tabernacle. I want you to rest. I want you to take this day as holy. Even if you're working for me, you're going to die. Now, there's one exception to that. It's not my favorite. The priests profane the Sabbath and are blameless. That means I got to (laughs) work. I take my Sabbath on another day, okay? I'm all right with that now. But that day is holy to me. There has to be a day of rest and worship in your life holy to the Lord. Do you seek first the kingdom of God by taking that day of rest and coming to church? Here's another one. You seek the kingdom of God first in your finances. I was teaching the guys on Thursday night We all pick a scripture and come in and explain it. So I picked this one. And while I was preparing on this, I thought, wow, this is why I tithe. Now, you know, over the years in this church, we've had a little pushback on this thing about tithing. And I'm not trying to get money out of anybody, all right? I personally do not know who gives what in this church, and that's By design. So I just call up Bruce and I say, Bruce, do we have any money? He goes, yeah. I go, fine. Great, thank you. We're done. That's all I want to know. Are we in the black? Or do we have to worry? So I'm not saying this because I'm trying to extort more money out of people. This is between you and God. But I realized this is why I tithe. There's a lot of reasons, but it's the scripture. Is in Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10. It says, "Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine." Now, you know this isn't in the in the law, the commandment. This isn't a legal technicality. This is just honoring the Lord by giving back a token, which is 10%. Now, what God does is take that 90% and stretch it to somewhere around 140%, which is what? You know, we deal with pies pie charts that says, this is 100%, and you whack it up, and after that, there isn't any more. And so our minds think in pie charts, and we try to divvy it up so that we're going to survive, and every time we do that, guess what? We're going to die. And forget giving to the Lord, because if we do that, we're going to die. So that's why I read that scripture about Elijah in the beginning. See, Elijah shows up as this widow was picking up sticks, and she goes, we're going to die, we're going to die. And he says, give me a drink of water. She goes, okay. And go, oh, by the way, why don't you make me a little cake first? She goes, well... As luck would have it, sir, I'm going to make me a little cake. My son and I, we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die, because we don't have anything left. Are you trying to tell me we need to die a little sooner? (laughs) Thus says the Lord God, I want you to die. He goes, no, just make me one first. Because the Lord says, that little sack of flour is not going to run dry, nor the jar of oil, until we're done. But you got to make me one first. Now, is the prophet just being this big selfish jerk? Or is God making a point? You put God first and do what he says, and then he's going to take care of you. And the, the record says, somehow that little sack always had more flour for one more. One more. One more. For three years, there was always one more left in that thing. Did the sack explode with flour and over this, you know, just, oh, looks like we're going to make it. Nope. Just has one more. And then. So, I remember when I started to tithe, and I remember being scared I remember thinking, is this going to work or am I going to die? And in the end, I decided well, if I die, I die. At least I'll be dying under the mighty hand of God. I hope you're watching. as I put my little tiny insignificant money that I was gonna live on, and I'm gonna say goodbye to it forever. I hope you're watching. That was about 45 years ago. And you'll notice, I'm still alive. Good trick, huh? I thought I was gonna die. And actually, I wish I could say that I never worried since. But in fact, I have worried because it didn't look good. In fact, it looked sometimes like I was gonna die. And I didn't. And the funny thing was, something would happen which I could never explain. But I learned that God is going to take care of my life. And here's the deal. I give God 10%. He takes that 90% and stretches it like silly putty. I can't explain it. I don't know how it works. But I'm okay with that now. And see, God is not going to just do this health and wealth thing so that our houses are overflowing with money and we're we'll all be driving new cars and everything's great and we never have to suffer. But what he's saying is, I'll take care of you, I'll give you what you need. Sometimes we need to be really low in our finances and very honest before God and say, God, it looks like I'm going to die. Please let me die under your mighty hand. That's a safe place to be, you know. I tell you, I'm the most chicken missionary pastor that ever walked the planet. And I'm still alive. And I have to say, I am so sorry, God. I'm so sorry that I worried and I didn't have to. Because you're faithful and true. And that is my honest testimony. Now, Here's another way to seek first the kingdom. What you do in your job. I run into people who are not sure what they ought to do. And they want to do this, they want to do that. Uh, I don't know. And I I always say, why don't you ask God, what do you want me to do? Lay it before him. Say, anything you want, anywhere you want, whatever you want, what do you want? And let him figure it out. You lead me, you guide me, I'll do whatever you want. But here I am. See what God will do. Let's say you don't like your job right now. Say, okay God, anything you want. What do you want? And I'm yours, and I'll do anything you want. When we think about this whole thing, you know, it seems like the most important thing is that you get to know God because you cannot submit yourself to somebody you cannot trust. You're not going to hand your life over to some psychopath to run it any way he wants, but you have to be able to trust him. So To the extent that you do not trust God, you are not humbling yourself under his mighty hand. Get that? Now you can trust God because he cares for you. Did you notice that in verse 7? Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. You humble yourself under his mighty hand and you find you have all sorts of cares you did not have before. Am I going to make it? If I put you first here, am I going to die? Is my family going to die? Am I going to die, 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 die because I am putting you first? That's what it looks like. You know, when... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to trust God and not have any gods before him, Nebuchadnezzar says flat out, I am going to kill you. Is there any God that can save you out of my hands? I am God. And they say, well, you know, our God is able to save us, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. They don't have any guarantees from God. Shh. Don't worry about it. I got this one. For all they know, they're going to die right now. And then Nebuchadnezzar throws them in, and guess what? They're not dead. That's pretty cool. In a blazing furnace, seven times hotter than usual, walking around outside. Nebuchadnezzar goes, wow. And the fourth one is like the Son of God. Come out of there. Why don't you come in and get us? <laughs> unless you say if unless you know, if I die I die, you'll never find out. Well, you can trust God because he cares for you. Yes, God is mighty. Yes, he can crush you like a flea. You cannot bargain with him. You cannot dictate to him. But he does care for you. So you know what? You humble yourself and you cast all of your cares on him. You push those cares on him. You say, you know what? I'm obeying you. These are my worries now. These are my fears. These are my responsibilities. This is all my business. I'm pushing that on you. And he says, okay, now I'll carry you. And see, you're receiving God's grace. You put yourself in a helpless spot. God says, I will provide. I will do this. Remember when Paul has this thorn from Satan in his flesh? And he prays three times, oh God, take this away from me. And God shows up on the third time and says, no. I like it there. I like you weak because then I can display my power through you. Power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, okay, I'm I'm good with that. You want me weak? I'll be weak. I'll humble myself before you. And then, most gladly, he says, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So can you trust Jesus and submit to him completely? See, this is what Jesus did with the Father. He says, if I die, I die. And then the Father raised him from the dead. Jesus humbled himself to the death of the cross. And the Father has exalted him. And we're going the same way. So you trust and submit unto death with Christ, and you also will be exalted with Christ. Let's pray. When we hear things like these, Heavenly Father, it scares us. Because it's scary to trust somebody we don't know and this shows us how much we know you and we know you a little bit and we need to know you more and the great thing is Lord that you intend for us to know you better and better You want us to learn Christ. So we pray that you would teach us by your spirit and enable us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We have messed up time priorities. Would you please make them ordered? And we have messed up finances. Will you please order our finances? Order our lives because you're the Lord and you bring in order. Do that for each one of us. And then we don't have to worry because you're ruling and you've got this. And we thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.